Hey nerds, for today's show we dive into the geeky world of shark stats with shark expert Megan Winton. Statistics may not grab your attention like shark sightings or attacks, but Megan is here to prove that working with data can be just as exciting. Find out how local shark researchers utilize all the data collected throughout the season to improve public safety, and what it's like for them inside the data hole in the off-season. Welcome, everybody, to the Nerd Zone. This is Rob Michelson with NBC10 Boston here with Megan Winton, host of Shark Tales and Shark Scientist Extraordinaire. Ooh. Yeah, like is that, that is that, I is like that, that new that description? <laughs> it's a good one. And I said we're in the nerd zone because today we're talking about shark statistics, a subject that when we were talking about it before, you're very excited about. You were just all over the place with energy because you love this. You live for the shark stats. This is something I I get really excited about. I feel like it's a very underrated aspect of shark science. The focus in the media and on Shark Week is always on the field work and the new fancy, sexy technology that, that's out there that people are using to study sharks. Yeah. But what a lot of people don't appreciate is the fact that even from these really fancy tags, what we get back are essentially little data points. We'll get a location or a temperature or a depth that's associated with a fish at a certain date and time. And how do you make sense of all of that? It's a lot of data. It is. It's a lot, and you don't get it in this nice prepackaged way that says... This is exactly like thinking about tagging data, for instance, from from depending on what type of tag you're using, sometimes all we'll get is a location and a date and a time in which shark it was, Mm -hmm. which, you know, you can learn a lot from that. But you have to put together all the different pieces of this puzzle from this giant data set you've collected. People think about satellite tags as being very fancy, sophisticated technology and they really are it's incredible what you're able to attach to a fish and get back now but you don't get everything in an easily digestible form you still have this raw data set that you have to make sense of only you have the ingredients and you got to make a meal out of it yeah and because like the thing is people want to know about sharks they want to know about their movements their location their behavior and so when you guys get all these ingredients you got to make it a meal so then you can go to local lawmakers and the public be like, hey, here's what's happening in Cape Cod. Yeah. So and you need to be able to boil it down to provide digestible information to policymakers and to the general public because people are curious. But a lot of times when you first plot up, plot up the data set that you, you get at the end of the season, it, it basically just kind of looks like this big data blob, how you make sense of it, how you get at the core pattern underlying all of the variability that we see in the data we've collected. That's really the tricky part. And statistics and data analysis speaks well, really well to my sort of puzzle-loving but also stubborn side mm-hmm. because I do a lot of computer coding and a lot of figuring out how to, to write computer code that will allow me to analyze the data in the way that I need to. And a lot of the things that we're doing uh, with the white shark data on Cape Cod, we're having to come up with new models for the data we're sure. collecting. There's not something that already exists out there. So we spend a lot of time working on that in the off season. And a lot of times people are like, oh, you must be so bored once the field season is over. You know, you just sit in your office all day. But it's very, it's very challenging and stimulating in its own right. And it's so satisfying being able to sit down and make sense of all these things we've collected and look at common patterns 
look at, at, at patterns that are common to individuals as well as are different among individuals. And it's really the closest thing scientists can do to speaking shark. So the off seasons when a lot of the real hard work um, begins. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I didn't realize there's so much coding and so much computer work. In my mind, it's like, oh, put in a spreadsheet and let's see what happens. But tell me, how much data are you dealing with on average? There are two main questions as a, as a fisheries biologist I use statistics for. The first one is figuring out how many fish, how many sharks are out there. Hmm. The second is figuring out where they, where they went, where they go, what their underlying distribution is, where they occur at different times of the year, where they occur off the coast of Cape Cod. So if you think about all the acoustic detection data that's been collected by the Division of Marine Fisheries over almost the past 10 years, we get great information from those, from those receiver locations. And so to remind everybody, an acoustic receiver is basically an underwater listening station that will record a date and a time of when a shark tagged with an acoustic transmitter swims by. So we get this point information on when and where shark so-and-so was. But there's all these other areas that don't have an acoustic receiver. And even though we've got really great coverage off the coast of the Cape, there's still these areas we kind of have to fill in the gaps based on where that shark was detected last and where it's being detected now over the course of the season. Because like, if you think we've got these discrete locations where we have these receivers and the way we've structured our receiver array around the coast of the Cape is to provide good coverage of pretty much the entire coast of the Cape, from Cape Cod Bay down along the coast of the Outer Cape. So we've got great coverage, but around each of those receivers is a detection range. So that receiver will detect a tagged animal anywhere out to about a thousand yards. But in between our receivers, we have these areas where we can't detect a shark because we don't have a receiver there. But based on the patterns of detections and the timing of detections, we can fill in the gaps and figure out areas where they likely were in between detections, you don't get this automatically beautiful pre-processed track of where that shark went. And so how long does it take to put all that data together on the, in the off season? It would take a long time if you did it by hand. Right. So at this point, I've written a couple of different scripts to help expedite the process. But there's all these different layers to it. And if you think about just the acoustic detection data that are collected off, off the coast of Cape Cod every year, there are over 100 receivers in state waters at this point um, that are put out between the Division of Marine Fisheries and us um, in state waters. And so at every one of those receiver locations, you'll get detections of not only white sharks, but there are a lot of other species of fish that have been tagged with the same technology. So step one is weeding out the white shark detections from all these other detections and then sending the detection data out to the people who put those tags out. Mm -hmm. Then we have to compile that with environmental data, which we can get from satellite composites or temperature logger data we have out in the field. This is all just the data processing part of it. Right. And that's not even where you're getting into the modeling and the trend analysis and trying to figure out what it all means, which is in the acoustic, the case of acoustic telemetry can be tricky because you get that go on in the environment that we have to account for. You've been out on the boat with us. Mm -hmm. You know what it's like when we're out. The visibility of the water can vary dramatically, sure. even along the coast of the Outer Cape. 
that impacts our spotter pilot's ability to see a shark and put us on a shark. Cloud cover plays a role in that as well. Sea state, if it's really wavy. So the only way we can account for these things that we know are important, but we can't control for, like I can't go out and magically make the water clarity great. Wouldn't it be great? Every day we're out. I wish I could. It would make my job On a little so tablet and, and just gets nice and clear. <laughs> it would be and be like, just shut up, wind. I've had enough of you. One day. Today. Hopefully we're, yeah. our science is evolving. We'll get there. <laughs> Basically, if I were a god and could control all these things, it would yeah. make being a shark scientist much easier. Being but, a shark god, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but because we can't, because we're only human and we can't control all of these things that impact our ability to go out and see sharks, we use statistical models to account for all of these things that we know are important. After all this work, processing this data, putting it together, um, you know, and then you obviously write papers, yep, research papers. Yep. Um, and then how's it feel you know, just see all that work and then just see it made into a, a, a news headline. So, and there's all these nuances to your research and there's all this stuff. And then you just look at a news article and be like, sharks are doing this. And you're like, well, actually it's a little more complicated than that. I'm sure you have to hold yourself back when you're talking to your oh, friends. We have a really tough time yeah. talking to the media because we think about these things in such detail and you come up with these with these patterns and these trends that are underlying the data you observed. And then as a scientist, part of the process of writing that paper is coming up with all of the things. You think about everything that could have impacted your results. And so you're always thinking about the what ifs, what ifs. And then the media always wants you to boil it down to like, and they, they boil it down for you. Right. And then, you know, your parents call you and want to talk about it. And then you start getting into all the nitty gritty and their eyes glaze over. <laughs> and they're just, you're like, oh. So it's really a way to boil down all the mess and the variation in the data you've collected into one solid trend that you can then say something about. I'll see like headlines mm -hmm. and I'll say chocolate may help you lose weight. And then I'm imagining whoever the scientist was being like, well, <laughs> but then like you see the headlines. Has there ever been a situation where you've done research and you saw the headlines? You're like, okay, not exactly. Or do you think they have, the media has gone right for you uh, personally for the most part? Well, you know, before I started working on white sharks, the science I have been doing hasn't really been headline news. Like one of the most recent papers I published was about a new an improved model for acoustic telemetry data. Oh my God, exciting. <laughs> the, I can see the headlines really? now. That's clickbait. That's clickbait right there. <laughs> yeah, people are like, ooh, <laughs> let me check that out. I think I just fell asleep. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but, but. but not so much with my own research, but like you see this a lot with the types of studies you're talking about right. where they're like, chocolate's good for you. One thing that we constantly say as scientists when we see headlines like that is correlation does not equal causation. So just, I think that needs to be drilled in people's heads. Correlation does. does not equal causation. Because like I'll see like one uh, news article, red wine can help you lose weight. And it's like red wine's <laughs> making you gain weight. And it's like, okay, but like what's happening here, you know? It's just correlation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if I eat a bunch of pie and I gain weight, well, that might actually be a cause. But like we don't know. It could be the cake I'm eating, too, you know? It could be. <laughs> it could it be the could cake. Be. <laughs> I guess in science, you never want to attack anything from one angle. No, yeah. no. You'd be, you don't want to be a one-dimensional scientist. Right. And it's really, it's hard to be because 
so many there's so many different interesting avenues you can take like I'm still trying to come to terms with the fact that I can't be an expert and do every kind of science ever like it's really hard to be ambitious like well but I'm just like so interested in everything and I, I gotta say statistics is is really great that way too. It provides you an avenue. If you have that skill set, you can work on lots of different things because everybody needs analytical help. You know, it's just, it's trying to put together the puzzle. Because mm-hmm. it's like putting together, it's all the pieces, it's all the information. It's trying to make it into something and, and then show a picture. It's like, see, sharks maybe help help you lose weight or something <laughs> like that. You know, the, is that correlation? <laughs> the more sharks in Cape Cod, people are losing weight. Weird. But I mean, you know. You talked about how the number of sightings yeah. has really increased. And that is something that... If you don't think about the analytical side of things, it's really easy to just take that at face value and say sightings are up. Yeah. If you're not thinking about what might be driving that, the obvious answer is the number of sharks coming to the Cape is More up sharks. dramatically yeah. this year. But what we've seen during the course of the research trips in terms of shark abundance wise, it really is about on par with what we've seen the, the past two seasons where there is a big difference this year is in the number of eyes that are on the water. There are a lot more and more frequent eco-tours mm-hmm. that are out there. Um, and the the pilots that are flying for these different tour companies are really good about reporting the presence of sharks when they're off when they're off um, off beach areas. Mm-hmm. And so there's been a big increase in the number of eyes on the water, which has contributed a lot to the increase in sightings this year. But if you look at the headlines, that there a few times it has been mentioned. There have been a few reporters who've done a really good job with it. Right. But that that part of the equation is left out a lot. Right. And so that is a very great sort of real world example of why being able to account for these different things is so important to get at what is actually going on. You know, I look at something like that, and you're trying to, and, and on the news side, you're trying to think of a headline. Mm-hmm. And it's like, more shark spotted, and there's no room to say, well, you know, exactly. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. So, yeah. and then that's the challenging thing. That's the balance, I think, between science and media, mm-hmm. is we need to boil it down for people. But we also need people to click on our articles, because, like, yes. you know, they're not going to get the information unless they click. More eyes on water. People are like, yeah, who cares? Yeah, it's like, yeah, if, if, if the headline was, you know, more eyes on water means more shark spotted also here's uh the variance uh matrix uh, equation <laughs> for this oh, <laughs> I, I don't know if that was impression to you uh, i apologize uh but you know and that's it's hard so it, it's that balance and it's you know working and it's tough to work with the media work with us be like hey this is actually what it means like mm-hmm. but also we have to be like okay but we have to make it put it in a nice package for people it's it's a balance it's the it's the scales of, it is. Uh, of information yeah because you know? no, i love scientists you yes know? you yes i didn't mean to put all media on one side like you know yeah but i mean that's the thing like but that's that's the, <laughs> the thing when you're talking about statistics it's frustrating when you put all this effort into this information and then you throw it out there be like okay who's gonna like is buzzfeed gonna turn this into like something mm-hmm. and then you know the new york times may you know get it right but then it's like it's it must be stressful to, to put your data out there and see yeah. what happens to it. 
Well, and it can be, it can be, especially in this situation where people are so hungry for answers and they see us out there conducting all this field work and then are like, so what's the holdup? You're out there. You counted some sharks, right? (laughs) But you want to make sure as a scientist, it's our responsibility to get this right and make sure we are providing the best information we can. So all the, all the data processing side of things, I mean, we collect Oh, so many videos every year. Mm-hmm. We, we, you know, the first step of all of this is processing the videos we've collected yep. to identify the sharks, which is incredibly time consuming um, in its own right. And then from there, compiling everything the way you need it to be, bringing in environmental data to look at how things like sea surface temperature or turbidity affect the distribution of these animals. Then you know, writing up the code for the models you're applying and then doing all the the model validation and testing you have to do at the end of the day to make sure that the trends you've identified are correct. It's all, you know, it's, it's a process and scientists are very meticulous, careful people because the answers we can come up with are used as the basis for managing these populations. Real world impact. It's very real world impact. And so a lot of responsibility. It is. With great power, as Spider-Man once said, or his father, or whoever it was. Oh, what was it? Um, His uncle, right? With great uh, power, because great responsibility. Not a Yeah, I don't want Spider-Man person. nerds coming after me. <laughs> we're in the nerd zone. I, they, we're susceptible to nerd attack. Uh, <laughs> before we leave the nerd zone, which it's been very nice in the which nerd I zone. I never do. I just live here permanently. <laughs> You're constantly in the nerd zone. It's official kind of shark season mm-hmm. is coming to a close soon. And you're going to be getting into all these numbers, all this good stuff. How's it looking for the off season? Oh, it looks like it's going to be a busy one. But I am so incredibly excited about it. Um, We've, you know, not only continued uh, tagging efforts. So the Division of Marine Fisheries has not only continued tagging uh, these animals this year, but has been tagging animals in different locations. Mm Um, and has been putting out new, fancier tag types, like we've talked about before, the accelerometer tags. So we've got a couple of new data streams that are coming in that I am so excited to do something a little bit different. I, know, I, I saw the theater of the mind. She just tensed up and started, like, shaking and, like, you know, just, like, <laughs> the excitement was visual on that. So our field season, we're generally out from mid-June until November, mm-hmm. which is – it's an incredible opportunity to spend as much time in the field collecting data um, as we do. But by the end of it, you're like, you know, you've been going full throttle for almost six months and you're like tired and kind of ready to hibernate. It's getting colder. The days, mm-hmm. you know, are getting darker. And so I'm, I'm about ready to enter what I call my data hole where I just <laughs> like, that's what everybody, when they can't get a hold of me in the winter, they're, they're, they're like, oh, where's Megan? She's just their like, data hole. So you're like, a, you're like a bear and you go into, yeah. you, you've, you've gathered all your resources, you go into yeah. your cave and you hibernate, but you're, you're not sleeping. You're working on these stats. Working on these on these stats, and then usually around like March or April, which is when everybody in New England really starts losing it when it's still not warm and oh, it's yeah. still kind of dark. That's when I start getting really pumped for the field season. So we've got like a really nice cycle going on. <laughs> and then data time. Stop. Oh yeah, data time. 
Oh, definitely. I hope you can play some MC Hammer in the background there. <laughs> oh, I don't think we have the rights to it, <laughs> but uh, we'll, uh, we'll let people imagine. <laughs> Probably <laughs> <MC>. not. <laughs> I'm looking forward to reading uh, your studies and your findings and then trying to, to make it into a headline. <laughs> I was going to say, I look forward to translating them for you. Wait till you get into yeah. statistical jargon. Oh, boy. Ooh, <laughs> that is the real doozy of it all. All right. Well, Megan, we are now leaving the nerd zone. I feel like I just grew a pocket protector uh, from listening to you. <laughs> this whole time but it was very interesting uh i love your passion i love just the fact that when i say the word shark and then i say the word stats you light up and you know that's that's uh it's great to see so but thank you i'm not you. getting that from you right now i'm not getting <laughs> I, that you are as excited may, about sharky statistics as i am i may have napped through half this podcast but oh. <laughs> well i hope you all at home and learned a little something and i uh, will catch you on the next one <laughs> Thank you for joining in on another episode of Shark Tales. Make sure to subscribe and write us a review on your favorite podcast provider to get new episodes right when they come out.